1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Hello, and welcome back to New Books in Medieval History, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Evans Arcadas, your host, and in today's episode, I will be speaking with Dr. Yanis Touraitis about his recent book, Identities and Ideologies in the Medieval Eastern Roman World, published in 2022 by Edinburgh University Press. Dr. Sturaitis is senior lecturer in Byzantine history at the University of Edinburgh. He specializes in Byzantine social and cultural history, focusing on the social ideological aspects of war, collective identification and ideological attachments, and the construction of historical memory. Hello, Yanni, and welcome to the show.
1: Hello, Evan, and thank you very much for inviting me to your show.
0: Absolutely, it's it's a great pleasure. Um, these past few months, I've been really looking into uh bringing so many more Byzantine um uh, uh, books into the attention of uh, a broader field. So I'm very happy to sp- to be speaking with you today. Well, I'm
1: very happy as well to be here, and I'm looking forward to a great discussion. And I really enjoy your postcast, your podcast. So I'm very happy to be here.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. Well, um, I would like to start our conversation by uh, you telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, I mean,
1: I'm what people call a Byzantine historian or Byzantinist, uh, a title I don't like to use very much for myself. Uh, I prefer to think of myself as a historian of the Middle Ages or uh, pre-modern times. Uh, in general, um, yeah, I've, I'm Greek originally, but I'm based in Edinburgh. Uh, The last five years, Um, I was born in Athens, raised uh, in Chalkida, which is a city with both both an ancient and a medieval past. So uh, I had kind of influences from both sides, so to say. Um, Yeah, I went to Ioannina to study uh, and the University of Ioannina, where I was kind of like um, between modern Greek history and Byzantine history. So I was like... I didn't know what to do really because I liked both. Uh, In the end, I decided for Byzantine history. And yeah, this is what brought me here, (laughs) so to say.
0: Perfect. Yeah, quite a story. Yeah, uh, definitely uh, the move from Greece, familiar with my past, with my history as well. So. um, Yeah, I mean, obviously, I went to to Vienna afterwards to study,
1: to do my PhD, um, uh, which was. A great move, in my view, <laughs> one of the best decisions I've made in my life, I believe. It was a great experience, and yeah, I stayed there for many years, and I was able to um, benefit a lot from this uh, great Institute for Byzantine Studies, which is probably mm-hmm. uh, which is one of the best in the world, if not <laughs> the best place <laughs> to study Byzantine history.
0: Yes, yes. And for those who don't know who you are, you, you have been very active recently um, in the field um, when it comes to uh, studying the um, identity of the area of what what, what we call today B- Byzantium. And more than the identity, but uh, I've got to know you through your works on uh, looking into the identity um, of uh, Roman for example, in Byzantium.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, it is true. Um identity research is one major aspect of my research interests uh, i started uh, working on ideology especially ideas about war and peace i was the, the topic of my phd in vienna uh, and i did a lot on just war and holy war and questions of um, war ethics uh, in my early years but and it was through these questions actually that i came i mean through Warfare, the social aspects of warfare, that I came to the question of identity, identifications, collective identifications, and I've been very interested since to um, study and explore the way the people we used to call Byzantines uh, identified themselves collectively
0: uh, and
1: or distinguished themselves from others.
0: Right, right, yes, yes. And yeah, I, I try to um, re- remind myself to call them r- r- Romans. Yeah, although yeah. it's, you know, with, with all the books, you know, it's Romans. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, it's not bad to call them Byzantines, uh, as long as you know that uh, that's an analytical term. Like, it's a it's a modern term, yes. it It's not a, yes. a kind of their identity that they use for, the, for themselves. You know? It's not the end of the word if you call them Byzantines.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. Yes, I know the the previous podcast I did was about the invention of Byzantium in the in early medieval y- Europe. So, um, it was it it was a lot about you know that term and uh, its history and and how we we're using it today. So I'm glad to continue that now. Um, so thank thank you for answering that question. Um, so. Let's talk about you know a, a little bit about what is this book about, and when where did really the idea for the book um, come from? Um, so the title is Identities and Ideologies in the Medieval Eastern Roman World. And it was published fairly recently, I think uh, maybe a month or two ago. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm quite uh, quick to get an interview with you.
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, what is the book about? I think the title is pretty much straightforward. It's about identities and ideologies. Uh, I think what may struck uh, people as kind of um, different is the fact that I've chosen uh, to talk about medieval East Roman world and not Byzantine world. Uh, that was, um, to be honest, I was not trying to make a statement with that, that we should not use uh, the term Byzantium anymore. Uh, it was more of a way to um, uh, provoke a bit uh, people to uh, reflect more about um, why do we use certain terms about uh, this premodern society? Why do you do we use certain labels and not others? Uh, so the title of the book kind of relates with my own chapter in the book, which is uh, about the very topic you mentioned before about why and how did we come to the label Byzantine and in particular, then how does this label influence Modern research, the way modern research is conducted on questions of ideology and identity in the Byzantine world, so I, I chose uh, to talk about the East Roman world, which is uh, which many people may find also equally problematical as a label, because it has uh, the term "medieval" and it has the term "east." Uh, but as I said, it was more of a way to uh, provoke people to think about why. Should we use certain labels and not others, Uh, rather than make a statement that this is the correct label and not the other? I very much use the label Byzantine still. Uh, And as I said before, uh, I truly believe that it's more about how we use it and not whether we use it or not.
0: Uh, Yeah. Right, right, and and how did it come to um, where did this idea come from? Of, of uh... oh yeah, how how did the idea? Yeah,
1: um, so this was actually uh, the book, which is a collected volume. Yes, it's not my book. Uh, it has many different authors, great authors. Um, it's the product of a workshop which took place in Vienna back in two thousand and fifteen. When I was still a postdoctoral researcher there, so it took a lot a long time to um, materialize, and uh, there were many reasons for this great delay. Uh, it was the workshop was part of a project, part of a project that I was um, leading at the time in Vienna uh, under the title "Ideologies under Scrutiny: Differentiated Perceptions of Roman Imperial Ideas in Byzantine Society in the Period Between the 7th and the 12th Centuries," a project. It was funded by the um, Austrian uh, Science Funds. Uh, I worked three years on that topic. And this workshop was kind of the culminating moment of the project. Um, So it was an opportunity for me to invite uh, many uh, distinguished scholars and um, some also good friends among them to discuss about that topic, which I uh, believed at the time and still believe it's very interesting. So uh, on the way then, some people uh, abandoned the ship. <laughs> some people that participated in the workshop abandoned the ship, but new uh, people came on board. And this is now the final outcome of, of, uh, of that cooperation with a number of scholars, as I said. I'm, I'm particularly happy because I was able to work together with people that uh, I used to uh, read their books and publications and with... Uh, I would say, uh, and great admiration like uh, Jean-Claude Chenet or Jonathan Shepard or Leslie Brubaker um, or Panayotis Agapitos and they did me uh, the honour to participate in the the conference and contribute to the discussion with uh, excellent contributions and of course there are a number of younger scholars also uh, so kind of scholars of my own generation, comrades in arms, I would call them, with whom we are also um, friends, more or less, and who also participated, uh, like Kostis Mirlis, uh, Denis Tatakopoulos, Alicia Simpson, and of course, uh, all the others, uh, Vlad Astankovic. So, um, so I was very happy to have a mixture so to say, of uh, old and younger generation of Byzantinists and also some medievalists as well, Francesco Bori or uh, annick Peters Cousteau. Um, So, yes, I think the book is a nice mixture of people, of scholars uh, with great experience, uh, also fresh ideas, and I think that's what makes it uh, interesting in the first place
0: right yes yes there there's sixteen um articles or papers uh in the book sixteen chapters yeah uh so quite a quite a uh a variety of scholars uh and different topics as well uh from many areas of the eastern me- medieval world as 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 you mentioned yeah
1: exactly uh of course sixteen chapters and plus the introduction which i wrote right. uh, which John Halden and I wrote together, John uh, doing most of the hard work, I would say, on that and me contributing with some extra ideas. So, um,
0: yeah. Great, great. Sounds like it was a great conference. (laughs) It was fun, it was fun, definitely.
1: It was fun at the time, yes.
0: (laughs) I I gave birth to this work. So Um, I guess the question that makes sense to ask next is... um, you know why look at identity in Byzantium? There's I personally being interested in the field and working with the field. I see a lot of uh, of um, not so recent but also recent interest in looking at identity in Byzantium, especially the past. Um, I mean, you're the expert. You will be able to know better the past ten years or maybe earlier than that um, of this increased interest in looking at and, and, and exploring and, and learning more about identity in Byzantium. Um, so, yeah, why look at identity in, in Byzantium and what has been the state of the field when it comes to studying this, this particular to- topic um, as we speak right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the answer to the question why I look at identity in Byzantium is kind of obvious in the sense that identity is a, mas- a major research topic and, uh, for uh, a long, I mean, for a longer period of time now, but especially in the last two decades, there has been a resurgence, uh, a resurgence interest in the question of collective identities, and Byzantinists, uh are kind of like riding the wave, I would say, in the sense that they have to participate in these discussions. You have to be part of them. You can't like just ignore them. And on the other hand, um, I mean. The debate over Byzantine identity goes back in time. It was a hotly debated issue already in the 20th century, um, at the very early stage. Uh, indeed, uh, already since the, the 19th century, the late 19th century, if, if, we, look, if we want to really look back. So, um, and it's very much uh, interrelated with question of national identities. How modern national state states, I'm sorry, have uh, tried to. Um, Actually, influence uh, research on Byzantine identity because they they uh, make claim to, claims to Byzantine culture as their own national culture as part of their national narrative uh, about the past of their own nation uh, and their own culture. So um, I would say that if we want to, to talk about the state of the field, we could like uh, roughly divide. Um, Identity research on, in, uh, on, on on the Byzantine society in two major periods. I mean, the first period is the period from the late nineteenth century to the late twentieth century, where the basic question was actually, and the hotly debated issue was whether the Byzantines were Greeks or not. So it was basically a question between Greek national historians. Uh, I mean, historians either of Greek origin or uh, based in Greece or abroad, uh, who were very keen to stress uh, the Greek elements of being uh, of Byzantine identity, and <clears throat> prove it uh, as uh, an um, inherent part of uh, the. Uh, trajectory of a Greek national identity um, on the other hand there was a great deal of, of scholars basically based outside Greece uh, at Western uh, uh, at the universities of the Western uh, world uh, who actually are mainly, argued for the opposite that byzantium it was not a greek empire in the middle ages it was not a uh, it, it did not represent the continuation of the greek nation in the middle ages so that was the basic debate up to the 90s uh, the 1990s uh, I mean the last decade of the previous century and I think mm-hmm. it was this major turn in the humanities also that took place uh, uh, by the turn of the century um, so at the beginnings uh, of the of the 20th 21st century with all these new theories uh, ethno symbolism which made a major... Um, I mean, which kind of forced scholars to leak anew to the question of continuities and discontinuities of ethnicity in the past. Uh, and all that obviously affected also the field, of, the field of Byzantine studies. And then a new round of discussion began, uh, which now does not focus anymore, I think, on the question whether the Byzantines were Greeks or not. That is an issue that is considered solved, I believe, with very minor exceptions, uh, the majority of scholars nowadays would not enter in such a debate anymore. It's not a matter of debate. Uh, now, the questions that we pose now is what kind of identity was the collective identity of the Byzantines? How can we conceptualize it? How should we understand it? And it focuses on questions of ethnicity, nationhood, Um i mean if you look at uh, recent uh, publications you will see questions about whether they were the Byzantines regarded themselves as an elect nation for instance or if uh, whether they were a nation state and not an empire so mm-hmm. this research has moved on to new questions which are I mean, obviously, the questions um, that are being asked um, internationally and within various disciplines and various fields. So, as I said, there's an obvious um, there's an obvious influence from that. And on the other hand, of course, the Byzantine case is a very interesting case, which has a lot to say to these discussions. Uh, it has also a lot to offer to contribute to uh, current sociological debates as well about how should we understand uh, the question of uh, the longevity of nations or a pre-modern ethnicity, the relationship between pre-modern ethnicity and nationhood, all these questions, which are sociological questions, but also historical questions. I think um, the Byzantine paradigm, uh, Byzantine case study, has a lot to
0: contribute to that
1: because it's a very interesting uh, case study.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so, yes. There's there's so much to cover there. Um, and I guess the the follow up to that will be so where does this new new contribution to this to these questions your your recent publication, where does um that book stand with with this current scholarship and 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 research trends?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, this volume was actually intended to move the discussion a bit forward because. Um, it has focused a lot on certain issues as to whether the Byzantines were an, a nation, a Roman nation or not, uh, whether Byzantium was a, a nation state or an empire. Uh, so we wanted, I wanted to move the discussion a bit away from all that. I mean, it's not that I'm not considering these issues to be important, but uh, I do not think they should monopolize discussion on identities in in Byzantium. So uh, this is also why the plural in the title identities and ideologies we are not talking about byzantine identity or roman identity and we are not talking only about roman ideology we are trying to offer um a more inclusive view with regard to um identifications on various levels so um I mean, if you look at the various articles, for instance, yes, so they are dealing with high-level identities, but also with low-level identities. They are dealing mm-hmm. with high-level ideology, but also with low-level ideas and values within society. Um, so, um, and obviously, uh, if you look at my introductory chapter, uh, at the introductory chapter by John and myself, uh, we have tried there to offer a methodological framework, which we believe both of us that it is very important to be um, clarified and so we want we to kind of to make a statement with that paper of how do we approach very important analytical terms such as identity and ideology and are, which we consider to be very central in our research uh, and I do believe that people very often do not really reflect on the terms that they use, and that can lead to great problems. Uh, there's a major, there's a great discussion right now in, in uh, sociology about, for instance, the use of the term "identity," whether it makes sense to use the term, how useful it is as an analytical concept. Yes, and of course, ideology is also a very contentious term. Uh, I mean, a contentious term, uh, analytical term which needs to be ident- uh, defined very. Uh, carefully if you want to use it in a useful way in order to uh, think about the past and understand certain phenomena of the past. So um, so the basic goal of this book, as I said, was to open up the discussion, make us think also about different kinds of identities, not just Romaness as a collective identity or not just Roman political ideology, uh, which are, mm-hmm. are, of course, very... Um, um, there are topics who, who have like uh, they, they sell very well, so to say uh, you can make like uh, a name by writing uh, on them, but they're not the only interesting topics uh, so thats I think that is the main I mean when it comes to uh, research to exploring identity or identities in, in in plural and ideologies in the medieval uh, Roman world, I think there's it's much more there to explore than the question of, uh, okay, were the Byzantines Romans and how did they conceive themselves as Romans? Or uh, was Roman political ideology absolutist or was it not absolutist? And how did the Roman uh, imperial state function? So I think that's the main statement that the book is trying to make. So to open up the discussion and to uh, actually point uh, towards new directions for research.
0: Right, and kind of get the ball rolling when it comes yeah. to, to to the study of identity. Exactly. Yes. So uh, I find something in, interesting from what you mentioned about the question of the use of the term identity, as, as you mentioned, um, especially like in sociological circles, I guess. Um, why will that happen, especially now that we kind of have seemed to progress a little further
1: well i mean i think it's it's exactly the result of that progression i mean it's like um i mean research progresses when uh theory it, it it it's kind of been contested and re um redefined so to say i mean there's no such thing as a perfect theory theories there to mm-hmm. be um I think reconsidered and revisited all the time and uh redefined. And I think within this context uh I mean I actually see the criticism of the concept of identity as part of this uh great dialogue that began in the nineteen nineties uh, and it began with ethno symbolism with which made a contribution a, a, an important contribution in the sense that it went against uh, the stream uh, I mean especially with um, the studies of uh, Anthony D. Smith uh, who I mean as much as, as I do not agree with him <laughs> in everything I must be clear I'm not a, a great fan of ethnosymbolism. Um it was a very brave thing to do when he began because uh, modernism was the current orthodoxy uh towards the ends of the previous century and he was the one to go against the stream and of course he offered like very interesting ideas some of them very useful to be honest uh, he kind of um i would say he helped uh de-demonizing ethnicity in the sense uh especially uh, from the point of view i mean it was a very strong belief uh, towards the end of the uh, 20th century that we're not allowed to talk about ethnicity uh, at all in the past and so on and so forth. So he helped a lot, I think, with his studies. He made a contribution in order to um, uh, re-institute uh, ethnicity as an analytical term uh, and try to uh, help also historians understand how they can use this term in a way that um, it can be uh, heuristically helpful. Uh, of course, on the other hand, there are many things to criticize about his theories, especially when it comes to the continuity of uh, national um, identities or how ethnicity and modern national identity kind of uh, overlap. Uh, but of course, this is not our uh, the topic of our discussion now. I'm just mentioning that because I think that then criticism to the very concept of identity came as a reaction from parts of the modernist camp who. Also, were forced by the studies of the ethno-symbolists to refine their own arguments, so to go away from a vulgar modernism, which, uh, as I said, until the end of the previous century, was not willing to see any kind of identity, collective identities in pre-modern societies, any kind of uh, uh, was not willing to allocate any kind of um, role to ethnicity or political identities or whatever. Um, mm in pre-modern times, or very little at least. So, and I find this whole discussion very interesting and very fruitful because it can help us also rethink, as I said, the concepts that we are using. And we should be very careful when you are using certain concepts. Uh, So, um, for instance, if you look at the paper, uh, at the introduction we wrote with John, uh, we particularly talk about the question of, I mean, how problematic can be uh, more than approaches to identity can be sometimes uh, like right. hard senses of identity or uh, very soft senses of identity. So, I mean, weak understandings, as I say, as, as we say in the text, weak understandings of identity and strong understandings, How problematic both can be. Yes. I mean, weak understandings uh, are usually characterized by uh, a meaningless cliched constructivism uh, which uh, it ends up uh, it, uh, yeah, it it ends ups repudiating the core meaning of the identity of the of the term it employs yes, so it becomes meaningless the term. And on the other hand, you have like strong understandings, which bear refined really connotations and. I mean, they uh, result in the use of the term uh, which is intended to assert in, I mean, internal sameness, distinctiveness, bounded groupness, uh, making identity a a condition rather than a process, yes, which is equally problematical, of course. I mean, we are giving birth to something that probably did not exist in the past, so to say, uh, when we use identity in that way. So, yeah, I mean, we are trying to make a state... We would uh, we tried actually to take into account all these um, developments in the field of historical sociology, which are very useful, and try to translate them to our field and see how we can um, propose a certain way to approach these questions that can be useful and fruitful for our research. Of course, this is an introductory paper and uh, one could write like another... 50 pages on that issues and uh, it would still not be enough. So we would by no means claim that we covered uh, we did cover the topic or whatever. but as I said, our main goal was to initiate a discussion and to provide an alternative perspective from the one that is currently kind of dominant in the discussions about identity within the field of Byzantine studies.
0: Right, right. So, you think that do based on your opinion? Do you believe that um, scholars or you know whoever studies this sometimes might be using more of modern concepts of identity rather than looking at the sources and, and seeing how they perceived uh, um, what we call, I guess, I- identifications.
1: Well, I mean, I'm myself. I'm very fond of modern concepts because we need them. We need analytical concepts to conceptualize. We need them in order to uh, give meaning to phenomena, to the phenomena that we are studying. So we cannot do without them. As I said, it's important that when we use our concepts, we define them very clearly and that we use definitions that are actually uh, not tentative, so to say. I mean, uh, it's very important that our definitions helps, help us um, uh, understand the phenomenon uh in the best possible way through our sources rather than determining how the phenomenon should be understood. I don't know if I'm making myself clear, but I think this is a very fine distinction. So uh, definitions must be are very important and uh, actually Roger Brubaker, who's one of the most important uh, modern sociologists I mean sociologists on uh, regarding ideology research, has devoted the whole paper about how should we should distinguish. Uh, our categories of analysis from our categories of practice when we talk about identity. So, for instance, how we define uh, terms like nation, ethnic group, uh, state, or whatever. Uh, it's very important that we, as historians, as academics, um, um, take a particular care to distinguish our categories of analysis from the categories of practice, because we do use many of our analytical terms also as categories of practice in our everyday language. And that can lead very often to misunderstandings when we, we confuse the two. And mm-hmm. so I'm very much in favor of using analytical terms as long as they are very well defined and carefully defined. And I think this is where a lot of work needs to be done by everyone who works in the field because there is um, a vast amount of bibliography on the topic. And of course, uh, the easiest thing to do is always to base yourself on one single book, take one single theory, apply it and write a book. This is very easy to do, especially in medieval history when we have written sources uh, and it's very easy to cherry pick the material that can be fitted into a, second, a certain theory and then uh, use it to uh, actually uh, verify that theory, yes? And there you have a nice book. But the question then you have to pose to yourself is how does that respond then to questions posed by other theories? And how does that uh, respond to questions posed by the contradictions of our own evidence? So the evidence that we overlook or, or we leave aside because it doesn't really fit into the theory. So I think this is the greatest challenge when we are dealing with questions like that, where um, uh, the theoretical baggage, the theoretical background, is is great and is 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 vast, and so you have to try kind of to um, um, to control to harness it before going to your sources and trying to use that theoretical methodological background in a fruitful way in order to interpret the material of your sources in a holistic manner, leaving nothing out, so to say.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. That's why, you know, sometimes I say the the job of the historian is the hardest job out there. (laughs)
1: it it is, that's true. It's it's quite quite hard. And I mean, we have to be honest here that also becoming a Byzantinist is a quite difficult uh, thing because you need to be good at both nowadays. So you need to have like technical um, expertise, like being able to read in medieval Greek, with, which is the basic thing that you be, have to be able to do. But you have, you must also be able to understand numismatics, paleography, and, and, a, and a series of technical skills that, you, that people need to master in order to be able to approach to to access to have access to the uh, great range of sources that. Uh, this uh, past society offers us. And on the other hand, of course, they have also to be very well uh, equipped in terms of uh, theory and methodology. Uh, I mean, sociological theory and methodology and or literary theories, uh, for instance. And all of that uh, coupled by the need to speak, uh, to read at least three or four like modern languages because bibliography in Byzantine studies uh, is not Uh, predominantly in English Uh, it's also in German very important publications in in French in Italian even in Russian for instance you can find very interesting and important publications so that makes it very hard and (laughs) it's not uh, also I mean um, to train as a Byzantinist means a lot of hard work and it it's not certain that it's going to be rewarded always. <laughs> so yeah, it's, right. it's a dangerous choice to make nowadays.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that 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 makes sense. Um, thank you for that. So I um I guess we'll dive a little more deeper into one particular aspect and uh, not too much of a. Time, but uh, uh, if you can talk to me a little bit about your, you know, part of your introduction as uh, as you co-wrote and your and your article, um, your first chapter, um, the difference between the metropolitan or the Constantinopolitan uh, identity and the provincial Roman identity. Um, I'm particularly interested in that um, part of the scholarship, um, so I wanted to see. You know what you what uh what has your study shown about this this difference that I also um see quite often now when it comes to new publications of of papers yeah that distinction
1: yeah I mean I think that is kind of an obvious distinction of course, and it's also um very obvious uh when one looks at the sources uh, primary sources which are um the vast majority of those sources, after the seventh century, of course, was produced in Constantinople. So they do project mainly uh, the Constantinopolitan viewpoint, which things, makes things very difficult, of course, for historians to understand what was going on in the provinces. Of course, there is a number of alternative sources that you uh, that one may use in order to understand and approach identities in the provinces. And of course, there are various articles in in our book which are um, specifically focused on on these kinds of provincial identities different kind of identities and different kind of sources that can uh, let uh, I'm sorry shed light uh, on these uh, different identities um, I mean obviously when we're talking about the concept identity of course we should distinguish between the urban identity of the city of Constantinople and of course the Roman identity of Constantinople which is, per se, the Roman community within the Roman community in the East. I mean, Constantinople is the new Rome, yes. So, um, so it is the main focus of Roman identity in the East. Uh, and of course, one, uh, it is the main, one of the two main foci of identity of Romanes after the, the fall of the Roman Empire in the West. I mean, the other one being obviously Rome. In the West, which people tend to forget. I mean, very often there are, there are also other Romans in that world that they very much have the the conceptual Romans. Actually, they are the very Romans in the first place, uh, the Romans of the city of Rome. Yes. So, I mean, when people ask me why is Roman world, yes, because you have. We need conceptualization. We need to distinguish, and. Even though the Byzantine Empire was the single Roman Empire in the world between the late 5th and uh, century in the year 800, before Charlemagne uh, made his uh, claim in the West, uh, giving uh, I mean, uh, birth to a, uh, a new Roman Empire there, which of course was Roman in a very different way than the than the Byzantine, than the Eastern Empire. Uh, But, I mean, we should also remember that we need to distinguish between uh, different phenomena. So we need ways to conceptualize these distinctions, yes? So this is also why it's Roman world, because there is also another Roman world. As as small as it may be, it's the world of, of the city of Rome, which, as I said, is a Roman identity par excellence. That doesn't mean that the Byzantines, that their Roman identity was not. Um, a true Roman identity, whatever the word true may mean for an identity. I'm just saying that we need uh, terms to conceptualize, so we we'll, we cannot st- uh, simply speak about the Roman Empire uh, or about the Romans, because that would confuse things. And right. so we, we need kind of distinguish. But to come back to the question about Constantinople, so Constantinople is the Roman community per se, and you can see that and the sources, for instance, yes. Byzantine authors, authors, when they talk about the Romans as a collective um, historical subject with an agency, they usually primarily mean the emperor and the people of Constantinople. Uh, and they are very keen sometimes to distinguish them from the people of, of the provinces. Uh, and you can see that, I mean, in the language they use, how they call the people of the provinces tributary, for instance, hippoferi. They use the word hippoferi for the people of the provinces to the Romans. They say, even though the people of the provinces that they refer to are also Romans. So um, it, these are the contradictions of our material that I was talking about before that we uh, should account for when we are thinking about Romanness and quenches of identity. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we believe that it is worth paying particular attention to that differences. For instance, if you look at the paper by jean paul in this volume, he's particularly uh, arguing about, I mean, he's talking about high-level identities. He's, it's one of the, of the papers that is um, focusing on the question of high-level identities and in particular on the question of Romanes. And so he argues against... Uh, uh, the view that Constantinople, I mean Roman is in Constantinople and Romanus in the provinces was one and the same thing. So um using as an example, for instance, provincial revolts and uh, how do they reflect identification with the center or disloyalty towards the center and what can that tell us about identity as a process, as I said, and not as a condition. So again, we go back to our theoretical background, which is hard a strong notions of identity, which can be uh, fairly problematical. Yes, and um, so I think um, our main interest and our main goal was to uh, promote awareness about uh, and refine actually that distinction. That is uh, very evident in the scholarship. Of course, it's not a new distinction. Uh, scholars tended to. Uh, already in in the 20th century scholars have accentuated that difference, yes? Uh, So we just, uh, what we are proposing here is an even more refined approach to that by paying attention, as I said, to the various kinds of provincial identities that we should actually uh, pay attention to. Uh, I could mention here the paper of uh, two archaeological, or not archaeological necessarily. The one is an archaeological paper by Fodinikondili, which shows uh, how uh, local identity in Athens, medieval Athens, how it was constructed in terms of architecture, for instance, where a basic role is played by non elites. And of course, not by the imperial center, by, by the locals, who are non elite people, who are very much interested in constructing um, architecturally the landscape of their own city uh, independently from what the imperial center may have thought, or actually independently of the resources of, of the imperial center. And on the other hand, of course, there is the paper by uh, uh, Dan Reynolds, a very interesting one about rural identities in Palestine and Arabia. Uh, Mm -hmm. in these provinces in the 6th century uh, which again tells us a great deal about how people constructed identifications which had nothing to do with high level identity or were um, neither in a dialogue dialogue with it nor interested uh, uh, to use it these people were not interested to use this identity to identify at a higher level that was not the main interest so to say Um, so I believe this is where this volume tries to make a a new contribution to these old questions, so to say. It's not the question which is new, but it's uh, the way to approach it and to look at it from different angles that I believe uh, offers new insights.
0: Right, right, and the book is uh, is is uh, I think following up what 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 you're saying. The book is split in two parts. Uh, the first is called top-down and bottom-up approaches, and the second one uh, center and periphery. Yeah um how did those come to be like when the uh w- w- was that the targets of the conference and 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 the and the subsequent uh publication or is that something that came uh after uh, all the papers uh trickled in well i mean
1: when we uh organized the workshop uh we sent out invitations uh personally so we chose the speakers so it was not an open uh called for papers. Uh, we chose the speaker, so to say. So we did have in mind what each person may be able to contribute based on their current research, their current interests, and their current approaches. And so um and one of the basic issues of the volume uh is and of my which comes out of my own research and my own interest is how the concepts of identity and ideology overlap to some extent, or can be seen as overlapping and how useful it is to understand identification as a kind of of thought action of an ideological practice. Yes, um, so um, so we kind of tried to uh, combine the two uh, when we were inviting people. And uh, the outcome of that was, of course, that we got like a number of um Proposals back about what they would like to present, which they were pretty much close to what we we had wished for, so to say, in terms of a broader thematic. So then, at the end, uh, of course, uh, the current distinction, the, the current divide of division of the book, between a part about top-down and bottom-up approaches and a part about center and periphery, came uh, came about as a result of what uh, people propose and how we. We could see then these uh topics fitting together into uh, greater thematic groups. Um and as I said, the workshop in itself was a result, or it was kind of a the culminating part of my own research at the time of a project which was very much focusing on identity and ideology in the Byzantine world, uh, from trying to more or less to adopt a, like a bottom-up approach. But of course, we wanted the the book. We wanted it to, to be more inclusive, so we had both like papers which provide a top-down views of ideology, for instance, of ideas, and how these create identifications or not, and to which extent they create identifications, or then bottom-up approaches. As I, I mentioned, the papers of Fotini um, um, and uh, Dan, for instance. There are also other. Uh, interesting papers, which kind of combine the two, like Leslie's paper, which is about uh, processions and the way they created cohesion and urban identity, but at the same time promoted promoting uh, the imperial concept, the imperial identity of Constantinople, and uh, so on. Um, and of course, there is the question of center-periphery because uh, we did want to include also. Um, this is why we use also the term world in the title Roman world, not Roman Empire, not um, Byzantium in the sense of a state, uh, because also obviously this is more inclusive. So we have like the cases of Serbia, which can be considered a culture which belongs to the broader. Um, uh, geopolitical sphere of what we call the East Roman world, uh, the Byzantine world, or, of course, or a paper on Ravenna by Francesco Bori who uh, is very, interested, uh, very interesting about how Roman identity or Byzantine identity view, if you, you like, in order to distinguish, who was viewed by the Ravenates uh, in the aftermath of uh, the fall of the Exahyte. Um And of course, the question of uh, the imperial uh, Sicily, of Norman imperial Sicily, uh, where you have all this Norman imperial ideology, which is very much influenced by Byzantine conceptions and the way then actually the various... Our uh, confessional communities were integrated through that imperial ecumenical ideology there, which belo- all these belong to the periphery of what we would call the Byzantine world uh, in either cultural or political terms. So, yes, we wanted to have that aspect as well. I mean, as I said, this is not a volume that we would like to focus on, Constantinople. So actually, Constantinople makes a very small part <laughs> of the interests of the authors of, of that volume. And this is something that was a kind of a conscious choice of, of ours. Right. Yes.
0: Right, yeah. And it, and it was very interesting to see how many takes uh, different scholars took and, and and from different areas, different locations, different um, perceptions. It so quite, It's quite a diverse um look into these uh, topics that i really enjoyed while i was reading um it wasn't about one thing it was it, it was so encompassing so many different aspects um while researching that particular question well perfect um i've taken a lot of your time i appreciate it yanni uh thank you so much Um, I guess I think we did a pretty good justice to the book Um, a little bit about, you know, the the what it's about and and the concepts. Um, The last question I have for you is uh, before you go, what are you up to nowadays? And uh, if you have any new projects that you are working on?
1: Well, I'm currently trying to work on a book, a new book, which is going to be about civil war in Byzantium. So uh, I would like to uh, write a book on on civil war as a social phenomenon in Byzantium in the period between the seventh and twelfth centuries, and try to see how this phenomenon, uh, what role did it play in the historical development of the uh, East Roman polity from the seventh to the twelfth century. So that is my basic project at the moment. Of course, I have a couple of ongoing projects which are about to be finished. I'm gonna be publishing soon soon a new collected volume on war and collective identities in the Middle Ages, which is a comparative volume, a a cross-cultural approach to the question of how um, warfare and collective identity um, interconnect uh, in the history of medieval societies. Uh, which is um, a book I enjoyed very much uh, editing, I have to say, because I learned a lot from uh, the papers of uh, my colleagues uh, that wrote on different social orders, like uh, there are papers on China, Mon- the Mongols, the, the Vikings, or, uh, and uh, many other societies, Bulgars, Armenians, uh, Islam, of course, and Byzantium, my own paper, so that's one project that uh, it should um, hopefully be out next year. The volume, uh, and of course there's currently another volume I'm working on together with Claudia Rapp, uh, as professor in Byzantine studies at the University of Vienna, uh, a volume uh, on mobilities and mobility and microstructures in Byzantine society. Uh, so um, which probably will also be coming out in 2023. Yeah. So these are my two immediate projects now that have to be finished. But as I said, my main uh, work at the moment is on uh, preparing the monograph on Byzantine civil war.
0: You sound very busy. (laughs) Best of luck. Uh, Best wishes to the current book, but also to all all the forthcoming uh, books as well.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you. And I wish all the best to you and your podcast, which is very interesting and well done for the good job that you're doing.
0: Thank you so much. Thank thank you so much again. Uh, Thank you for being on the show. I really enjoyed our our conversation uh, and take care.
1: Thank you very much. You too.